The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Thank you for listening to Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic. Not here with us again for a second straight week. We're going to have to reevaluate his F status as a Tim Graham friend. Jonah Bronstein is not joining us, my usual co-host. Maybe my former co-host. I'll have to have that discussion. Uh, But joining us this week is Mike Giardi. From the NFL Network, he's been there for three years. Prior to that, which is where I got to know him, he was at NBC Sports Boston, and uh, he was uh, gracious enough to have me on uh, before games when the Patriots and the Bills played. Uh, He's based in Boston, so it's the perfect week to have Mike on. Um, Anything going on in Foxborough this week? Um, ah, you know, I mean, it's the little thing, this guy, Brady, you may have heard of coming back. Yeah, we we actually started this conversation last week, uh, which was uh, incredibly disrespectful to the Saints. And uh, then you saw the result of the Saints-Patriots game. Um, maybe they were thinking ahead. I don't know. I don't know if Bill allows that to happen. But um, yeah, this, uh, this, this week is going to be crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, I'm going to try to ask you some questions that make you think a little bit more because I also know just as as any reporter does that when you get in these regular season Super Bowl games, well, hell, postseason Super Bowl games too, yeah. you, it, it's all the same thing, saying it over and over again. You could probably go on autopilot uh, mm-hmm. and give these answers. Um, so I guess I wanted to ask you if uh, the Patriots have learned anything in their preparation for the Saints because they had to get ready for the Chris Hogan game. Do you think that they then can take the emotions of that and, uh, and say, all right, we've already been through this. We've had Chris Hogan back. We now know what it's going to be like to have Tom Brady back. Well, I have to tell you, Tim, you mentioned Chris Hogan. And what was very amusing to me yesterday was Bill Belichick was asked about, obviously, Brady coming back. And he started to go down the line. Well, we've had guys that have been here before come back. I mean, this is the league, right? And he mentioned sure. Chris Hogan. And we're all like, dude, you can't go down this road. What are you – and then, like, he kind of caught himself. And like, well, I mean, obviously, Tom is a little bit different. But he, he did. He started to stray down that path of, like, well, Garoppolo came back. Brissett's come – like, we're like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? You can't, you, you can't compare any of those guys to this guy. Bledsoe came back. Yeah. Back in the day, yep. I don't think there was as much drama there. Uh, no, no. When, when when he traded him to the Bills, when he traded Bledsoe to the Bills, that was a um, look. I'm not I'm not ever afraid of Drew Bledsoe. I think he made that clear. And I know there was a early the early Bledsoe game was was one that stood out, but for Buffalo. But after that, it was pretty lopsided. Is there a tangential discussion here? Maybe is there any resentment towards Drew Bledsoe? Or how, because of, I distinctly remember when the Patriots won that first Super Bowl and Tom Brady gleefully trying to hug Drew Bledsoe and make him <laughs> think like, hey man, 
we we're happy. We just won this thing. And Bledsoe was kind of, you could tell he's thinking, this is my team or this should be my team. Yep. Of course, we've seen how history unfolds. Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, et cetera, et cetera. But did pay, what were, where does Bledsoe stand among Patriots fans these days? Yeah, I don't think he gets enough respect, quite frankly, for sort of helping the Patriots become a legitimate NFL franchise. I mean, there had been blips over the course of time, but with he and Parcells together, you know, they sort of started to build something um, that, you know, made the Patriots significantly more relevant locally. I mean, they didn't sell out their home games forever and a day, right? I mean, they just, no one really cared about them. Boston College, we're not even a college football town, but Boston College was good in the early 80s. They were far more important to, to football fans than the Patriots were. And then you end up with, you know, Parcells and then Bledsoe and, and sort of point that thing in the right direction. I think Bledsoe had a hard time. I think he actually still has sort of a hard time with the whole way it went down. Because as he said, you know, like I'm remembered for, for almost dying. And that's, that was a bad, bad injury, right? He was bleeding internally. There was, there was a lot of stuff going on there. But it was like, oh, you know, all of a sudden this fresh-faced kid comes in there and starts winning football games. And, you know, my job is over and people wanted to throw me to the side. I almost died, you know, like, so I think even to this day, he does interviews where you can sort of sense from his perspective a little bit of bitterness about just how it all went down. Is he... We could easily look it up, but two guys who follow the sport. Is he the second greatest quarterback in Patriots history? I mean, I know oh, yeah. you go back to the AFL days and stuff, but. No, I mean, people might try to, th people Steve around Grogan here love Steve Grogan. Steve, yeah, they love Steve. Yeah, but I mean, if you look at what Steve Grogan was as a passer, and I know the league was entirely different than it is now. I mean, I, there's, to me, there's no comparison. I, I guess Grogan, the thing that people loved about Grogan is how tough he was, the neck brace, that whole thing. I mean, when right. you talk about Steve Grogan, that's the first thing people bring up. He wore a neck brace, you know, like, okay, but he was just a marginal quarterback. Drew Bledsoe did get to a Super Bowl on his own. Uh, Steve did. Grogan was the backup when they went in 85. Yep. Um, okay. Sorry for that diversion, but that's kind of all what good. this podcast is all about, Mike. <laughs> uh, so you are based in Boston. You cover the Patriots. So you have been at every Patriots game so far this season. Um, your thoughts on how they measure up to the defending Super Bowl champs. Yeah. You know what? Let's kind of stay in this moment of yeah. – Brady coming back. How how nervous are Patriots fans that it won't go well? Uh, petrified. Petrified because I think the feeling was that they would beat the Saints and they'd be two and one. And okay, you know, if Tom comes in here and beats us, two and two is not bad with a rookie quarterback. Schedule starts to lighten up uh, with Houston the following week. There's, you know, that feeling like, okay, if we can get through this, the kids showing promise at quarterback we're okay. Now you lose a game that you felt like you were going to win going into it. You're one and two having really lost your, the first game to Miami as well, I think was a game they feel like they should have won. And now Tom's coming in here and it's really hard for the Patriots offense to score. It's not hard for Tom to score. You know, like I think people are a little bit afraid of the potential that this is a complete runaway and it's, you know, 42 to 14 in the fourth quarter. And, you know, you're going to see shots of the stands and, you know, people with Brady jerseys on and, you know, maybe anti-Patriot type vibe at that point because there were some boos on, on Sunday. I mean, I, they're, they're, they're nervous right now, and I think they, they should be to a certain degree. 
That's right, because and a great little wrinkle too, because the uh, unless the Patriots put a hurting on on Tampa, uh, the Brady fans are going to stay till the end. So oh, yeah. at the end of the game, the crowd shots are going to be, you know, and it's going to be that vibe of uh, this is this is Brady's town. This isn't the Patriots' town. This has been Brady's town, and he can do it without Bill and that whole narrative, uh, which he obviously can. He just won a Super Bowl, but well, I mean, Tim. So they they're since Brady has moved on. Um, they have three wins against the Jets, the Patriots do. They are 5-12, and 12, I believe, against the rest of the league since Tom Brady left. And then, of course, you know, Brady goes to Tampa, gets hot, wins the Super Bowl. It's like he already, he's already sort of won the argument, if you will, um, about you know, who was right and who was wrong in that decision. Um, and people are starting to wonder, like, is this, you know, you see Belichick's record before Brady the record with Brady and now all of a sudden the record without Brady. And it's like, well, you know, it used to be, is it a 50, 50 thing? Is it 60, 40, you know, a Belichick and the culture and he's just smarter than everybody else. And now people are starting to go, no, it, it was Brady. And maybe it was a heavy percentage of Brady over Belichick, at least in this, you know, this short term here of a year and change where it hasn't gone the way people are certainly hoping it was going to go. How much does this discussion matter? Do you think, uh, within the organization? I think it matters quite a bit of the ownership level because of the relationship that Robert in particular had with Tom. Uh, and look, I think what people perceive on the outside is true on the inside. The Bill's not the easiest guy to work with. I think there's that famous clip at the two, 2009 season when the, the NFL films followed the Patriots for a season and Bill's got Robert and maybe Jonathan were in the office Jonathan Kraft and Bill's not even paying attention to them. And I think there's sort of that, like Bill's on a different level. I mean, they're obviously the owners, but Bill's on a different level and isn't the easiest to, to, to be around. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there's definitely, did, did we, did we make a mistake? Should we not have offered him that multi-year contract in 2017, 2018, to make sure he he was on our roster till he was 45. And then if you wanted to go year to year after that, you know, go, go so be it. But Bill was, you know, I think Bill played the odds. And, you know, the odds right now are uh, somehow Thomas has, has bucked those odds. Yeah, it's the outlier. Um, you, you can't, you couldn't have predicted it. I guess you can look back and say, it would be dis, a little bit disingenuous to say, oh, we all should have seen this coming because it's right. Tom Brady. But the greatest of the greats fall apart at some point. Michael Jordan fell apart. Um, Joe Montana fell apart. I mean, you just, it happens. Um, yeah, no, and, you, and you're right. And I guess the one thing that you can say now is, uh, and you keep hearing it from defensive players week after week, and you even heard from Brady earlier this year, you can't touch the quarterback anymore. It's like that. And so maybe that's the, the biggest um, shift. And maybe that's going to be the shift when people look at Aaron Rodgers or, you know, Russell Wilson, as he gets older, because he said he wants to play till after 40, um, that, that maybe if these guys can manage to, to avoid serious injury, that they can actually do this because they're obviously their minds are sharp enough to do it. And if the body can stay healthy ish, that they can continue to play into their forties. And I think that was one of the things too, when I look at the sort of the Brady departure, the last two seasons of Brady here, he had substantial injuries that, he, yes, he plays with everything, right? I mean, the only thing he didn't play with was the, was the torn ACL in, in the OA season. But 
that he had uh, an MCL sprain that really impacted him for six games over the course of the of the 2018 season when they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. And if you kind of go back and look at that run, what they discovered late in the year was maybe we're more of a power running team. And then when Tom had to make the throws, he was still capable of making the throws as he did in Kansas City in the AFC title game. Uh, and then in 19, he had all kinds of problems with his elbow. And that happened right around the 7-0, 8-0. And then they were a sub-500 team the rest of the rest of the year and then bowed out in the first round of the playoffs. So I think when they look at it again, they probably felt like, hey, the odds are again starting to fall in our favor. Couldn't make it through 2018. And somehow we won a Super Bowl, and maybe we shouldn't have. And then 2019, we just completely fell apart in the second half of the season, and our quarterback physically couldn't carry us like he had in the past. Do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback now if Bill Belichick had his way? After yeah, what do. we've seen out of Garoppolo, or do you think they've maybe moved on from him by this point? Uh, no, I think, he, I think he would have been. I think there's a feeling in Foxborough that if Jimmy was here, that some of the stuff that you're seeing in San Francisco, some of the inconsistencies wouldn't be part of his game. I mean, and there, obviously there's no way of knowing that. You know, maybe this is just who he is and, and this was how it was going to play. But they certainly had a lot invested in him. And, and, you know, I mean, famously, after they traded him, Belichick on a conference call for about five minutes starts off the conference call without even being asked about just going on and on about, how Jimmy handled himself and, and what a good player the 49ers were getting. And, um, you know, we had the best quarterback room in football, but, you know, we had to do something at this point. So I, I yeah, I mean, I think there was still interest in bringing him back this off season uh, and San Francisco didn't seem to want to budge, or at least if they were going to budge, it was going to have to be a high price that the Patriots weren't willing to pay. So, yeah, I think, I think they look at Jimmy as the, as the one that got away. So we can go ahead and rule the Jets out of the AFC conversation uh, rather yes. safely. Um, the Bills beat the Dolphins 35 to nothing two weeks ago. And the Bills looked really good uh, mm -hmm. on Sunday um, against Washington football team. Where do you think the division stands uh, with your knowledge on the Patriots? Uh, you know, you've, you've seen, well, you've seen the Dolphins uh, mm -hmm. Jets too, right? Yep. Um, I Tim, I think I went into this feeling like the Bills were still the class of the division when the season started, but that maybe Miami and, and New England had closed the gap um, some, but not enough to overtake them. And after three weeks, I think the gap is as wide as it was last year. I mean, obviously, I, I looked at the Miami situation and said, can Tua make the leap? Can Tua be a top five quarterback pick and, and, and go from – Eh, in his rookie year to, okay, now I've had a full year to train, I'm healthier, and I can do this thing. And I, he, even in beating the Patriots in week one, he didn't do anything for me. Um, I hate writing off quarterbacks this early. It's become the thing that we do now. And I'm, I'm, I still don't want to put the, the nail in his coffin as a, as a player because Buffalo is the perfect example. If you did that, if we, if we were treating Josh Allen like we've been treating all these quarterbacks lately, then Josh is somewhere else. Um, and maybe he's having great success or maybe he's he's a journeyman quarterback at this point, but staying in Buffalo and Buffalo staying with him has paid big dividends. And for the Patriots. Um, well, real, real quick, let's I, yeah, I want didn't the Dolphins kind of put the nail in into his coffin when they were openly flirting or re yeah. really not doing any kind of defense when the reports were out that Deshaun Watson was on his way or that they were trying to get him. 
Uh, and they just kind of passive aggressively dealt with that. And it kind of, yeah. I mean, that's still hanging there. Yeah, I, I, it's fair. It's absolutely fair. I would just say when it comes to Watson, I think there are 25, 26 teams that should have called about him, obviously prior to now what we know with all the Great stuff point. that's going on off the field because he's that that talented a guy. And he's, what is he, 25? I mean, you're talking about the, the ability to acquire a franchise quarterback who you already know is good. Like now we, he's played in the NFL, he's played at a high level, and we could have him for the next 10 years. That I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. But yeah, they were, they, they clearly were lukewarm on Tua after last year. And, and to your point, even the public proclamations of Tua's our guy were, they fell flat. You know, it just, I don't know. It wasn't over the top. I know there was a report right before the first game that Flores had a meeting with his team and he's like, Tua's our guy. And it was like, yeah, you, you're probably about six months too late with this this story for your, for your team who all know, like, yeah, we, we if the Deshaun thing clears up. We'd, we'd probably rather have Deshaun. So these yeah, players are on social media. They read, they, they watch the NFL oh, yeah. network. Yeah. You what's know being said. Yeah. And, and I mean, know what's not being, what's not being knocked down. Yeah, absolutely. And they've seen how it re in other places where, where, you know, people will get on the, the you know, they'll pound the, the podium and say, no, 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 this isn't it. And at least whether it's true or not, they're at least saying, well, look, my guy's out there, you know, he's defending whatever, my player, my guy. And in that case, everything was quiet. So, yeah, I think it's, it, it would be hard if I was Will Fuller or Preston Williams or Devontae Parker to think like, yeah, two is the long-term answer here when they, they continue to flirt with the idea of, of Deshaun Watson and continue to have little leaks, you know, like the owner wants Watson. I mean, that, these things keep popping up every couple of weeks. I derailed you there from your closing thoughts on the AFC East. Um, yeah, I, so like I said, I think the Dolphins, they, 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 they look like they're, they're, they have a quarterback problem and that that's not going to allow you to overtake Buffalo. And with the, with the Patriots, uh, I'm a little surprised at um, how this has gone thus far. I thought I, one of the big things to me, well, two big things, one, they're not protecting the quarterback at all. And as I sit there and watch back the games and I say, okay, you know, there's a couple throws, there's a couple times where Jones gets hit where it's the quarterback's fault. He doesn't make the, you know, he's, he's very quick with his processing, but Hey, you fooled him a little bit. He he's comes off his first read. Yeah, exactly. What would you expect from a rookie? Right. Uh, to me, the bigger thing is how the defense, when they have to make a stop, they can't make a stop. Miami, you know, they, they went through the off season. They said, we're not going to get run on what we did last year. They were a bottom five defense against the run last year. And they were, they were, they were embarrassed at times last year. Teams just said, we're just going to shove it down your throat. And there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. Stop it. And, and, you know, for Belichick, a defensive guy, that's, that's insulting. So they went out and they remade that front seven and through three weeks, Miami didn't rush for a ton of yards, but at the end of the game, after the Damian Harris fumble on the 10 yard line, they had a chance to stop him and get the ball back with about a minute and a half to play. And instead, handoff for five, handoff for four, handoff for two, game over. Saints go to the four-minute offense. It's a, it's a, it's a one-score game, and the Patriots can't stop them. And then on the touchdown run, the Patriots decided to defend with 10 guys instead of 11. So there's, there's, there's a toughness factor or under play, the guys aren't playing to the level that they need to play. And there's also been some uncharacteristic mistakes for three weeks, which makes you think, and that's the conversation we always have here because for years and years and years, it was everybody else spending the money in free agency. Oh, they won March and April, but we're going to win in, in December, January, and February. 
the Patriots are the team that won March and April, and here they are, one and two, and playing like a team that's not totally connected at this point. Mike, I needed to ask you this. Uh, before you attended, uh, or I should say, before you got your master's degree from the Howard Stern uh, School of Broadcast Journalism at Boston <laughs> University, you attended Trinity College yes. uh, in Hartford and studied, according to your NFL Network bio, English literature, yes, classical tradition. Mm-hmm. What does classical tradition mean? And why do you have a Bob Glauber book behind you? <laughs> well, I have a Glauber book because he pays for that spot. I'm a, he's probably not even happy. I probably need to center it more, maybe get some lights pointing down on it. Yeah, classical <laughs> tradition of English literature. What is that? Is that Shakespeare? So, so English lit was my major. Um, I wrote my thesis on William Faulkner, um, which actually is funny enough, one of Glauber and I's connections is that he was a big Faulkner guy as well. I think he wrote his thesis on Faulkner uh, in college, which was probably like 1942, but you know, fair enough. There was a lot um, more for you to know about Faulkner by the time you did it. <laughs> yes. Uh, classical tradition is philosophy, Greek mythology. Um, I- I'd like to sound really, really smart in this one, but we- so we had a minor, everyone had to have a minor. And when I got there as a freshman, the buzz was the minor's not going to make it. By the time you're a senior, the minor's not going to be a requirement. So I just took the classes that I wanted, took classes from my major. And then I think it was the second semester of my junior year. It was pretty obvious that the minor thing wasn't going to go away. So I went down the list and was like, well, I took three classes in this minor. I only got one here. I got none. You know what? Let's just go with the one we've got the most classes in and let's finish it off. So that's. That's, uh, I'd like to sound smarter than I was, but really that was just a uh, cover my own behind and make sure that I graduated on time because I don't think um, mom and dad were giving me any more money. What's the other book back there? You got a Glauber and a what? I got, let's see, I got uh, The Blueprint, which is Chris Price. Oh, wrote, of course. Um, really a fabulous book about the Patriots in the 2000s. I think uh, at the time Sports Illustrated called it one of the five best sports books of that year. And then um, it's randomly, it's a completely bizarre book. It's a fiction book by Alan Folsom, The Day After Tomorrow. I, I read it every year. I don't know. It's just very entertaining to me. Um, what is it? Yeah, so it's, it's an American doctor who um, his parents were killed um, when he was a boy. And it turns into this big thing. And it's a secret society. And I'm really not a fiction reader, but for some reason... That book um, spoke to me, and I've, I read the – there's a follow-up to it. I read the follow-up to it as well. All right, last uh, bookshelf question. What's with the Syracuse helmet? My father, class I of see. 64, I believe, played, All football, right, I'll allow for, it. Uh, played football for Ben Schwartzwalder. And, um, yeah, a little shout-out to Pops. Right on. Yeah. How good, also, how good we, was- Oh, we also have a uh, Johnny Pesky autographed Red Sox baseball. Okay, so Johnny Pesky, have you ever interviewed Johnny Pesky? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is He may be the greatest interview of all time. <laughs> the, a great player, number one. Yeah. A great player. He was always available. He was brilliant in his storytelling, and he loved to do it. And I interviewed him. I was probably 23. My first time at Fenway Park. I was sent there by the Boston Herald to do a story. The Massachusetts High School Athletic Association was eliminating, which is strange to think, but this would have been 93, 94. 
was eliminating um, smokeless tobacco. You know, you think, right? You know, they're, they're high school kids, right? Right. But because it was baseball, it was kind of you could look the other way. The coaches did it. The play that the players do it, and so it was kind of not a controversy. But I went down there and talked to Johnny Pesky. He didn't know who I was about the tradition or the the aspect of tobacco in baseball. And it, it still, it was probably one of my first interviews uh, with a, a famous player and not a high school kid or, you know, a college kid on his way up or who wasn't famous yet. Uh, and it might be number one still all these years later. He, he was amazing. So we actually, we went to his house um, later in his life. Um, it might've been a couple of years before he passed away. Um, and did a sit down in his house. And I mean, we probably did 40 minutes on camera, but we probably spent two and a half hours there. Um, he took us into his basement and he had uh, memorabilia like you would not believe Ted Williams stuff like just he's like, you can't show any of this stuff because I don't want someone to come rob my house. I mean, it was really right. there's probably millions of dollars worth of memorabilia in that in that basement. Um, but just a, just a wonderful guy. Uh, when, when Ted Williams passed, I was actually on vacation and, you know, I get the call from my station and there was a home game and like, can you, can you come? And I'm like, yep, yep, absolutely. So I, I go up there and, um, he was like the first person I saw when I came into the, into the facility at Fenway. And I almost ended up like holding him up. He was just, you know, I mean, they were, they were teammates, they were brothers essentially. And I, I'll never sort of forget that moment. Like, Johnny was an open book, you know, and it just, it struck me, you know, here I am some 20 something or early 30 something kid. And he's leaning on me for, for physical support and almost emotional support. And it wasn't like we were best friends or anything. It just, he needed a hug basically. <laughs> so I gave him one. Great dude. Well, yeah, you're a really great was. dude too for being there for the guy. Yeah. You know, I try, you know, mom, mom, mom and dad, they, they did all right. They raised me well, most of the time. Well, that's, that's what you say. <laughs> that's true we're, gonna, we're just gonna have to take your word for it <laughs> um mike what else do you want to mention anything anything going on that's uh that that has your interest but we're not talking about because it's all eclipsed by tom brady coming back to foxborough oh, how um, about this? Well, yeah, no how you know what i want to say specifically because you yeah. are obviously buffalo based um i, I just i can't <laughs> when you consider where that franchise has been for the last 20 years I can't say enough about Brandon Bean and Sean, Brian, Leslie, the job that they've done building that football team, the culture that they've built. And you're even seeing now, like, obviously there were some questions um, that I'm sure, well, I know you debated quite a bit uh, on this podcast and elsewhere about the vaccine and what was going on with the team. And I think people were wondering, is that going to be a fatal flaw for the football team? And I guess it could still be with guys not being vaccinated, but just that, there's a, there seems to be a really good bond with that group. And I, it's, it was fun to be around it, um, you know, last year as it, as it finally, you know, the seeds really took root and, and you had this great success. And I, I just think that they're poised for, for a, a good long run here. I mean, it really, the, from, from top to bottom, the way it's gone is, has, been, has been incredibly well done and, and, and very impressive. Yeah, I think COVID is, uh, is the biggest concern. And it probably is for all the teams because yep. any good team has just that variable. You can't control it. The protocols, the way that they are, it could bite you. Um, 
All right. How about well, maybe we should add add this uh, then to the conversation. You now regret adding something because we're about to sign off. <laughs> no, no, I'm Chiefs. Good. Obviously, the Ravens. So the Ravens maybe are looking a little bit better than we thought, even though they were a good team and everybody you know looked at them as I guess a is that maybe the best division in football right now? The AFC. Well, no, no. NFC okay, West. I'm talking myself out of it. That's my medication. Yeah. That's my medication kicking <laughs> in there, Mike. Uh, so anyway. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Kansas city chiefs, um, do you worry about them? Um, well, look, they're ne- I don't, I think the way that they, oh, let me that rephrase fo- that question. Cause that could be taken either way. It, do you, are you, do you think they've, they've, something's happened to them that they've tailed off? I don't mean, do you worry about them if they are your opponent? You know, obviously Patrick Mahomes and Tyree kill and all that stuff. You wor- you still got to worry about them. But what I'm saying is, uh, the aspect of yeah, them I don't think their defense is any good. I don't think their defense is any good. I, and I think it's been a problem for them. They have some good players on that defense, but I don't think they've consistently played good defense, even in the year they won the Super Bowl. Um, so I don't know how that gets better. I mean, I guess there's some youth on that team and maybe some of those younger players, some of those younger linebackers, um, they progress and they become good players and that will help strengthen that group. But I think as a whole, you move Chris Jones out of position because you're looking for something more. So to me, I think you actually weakened a strength by moving him because I don't think he's been as disruptive as he was prior to. I, yeah, I, I think they're going to be a team that is going to have to do what with Patrick. They're going to have to outscore. And, you know, like he's awesome. There's no like we're not I can't if you gave me a quarterback, I'm, I'm probably taking him considering the age and all that. But he does some stupid things. You know, and he the the no the no look pass for the interception against the Chargers. He, there was no reason to make a no look pass, and he threw it a little bit behind him. And if he's looking at him, maybe he throws it right on him. You know, like and so oh, we just we just we were cavalier with the football. We just gave you the ball back because we wanted to be cute and do a a no look pass. We love it. We eat it up when it happens and it works. But then okay, the flip side is it didn't work, so he needs to be ripped for it. Like how about you just make the throw? <laughs> just, you can make all the throws. Just make the throw. Save that stuff for practice. Save that stuff for when you're up 35 to seven and you're playing the Jets and you're not worried that they're going to go on a, you know, a 31 point, uh, you know, streak on you and, and take away the game. Just, I think maybe pick your, pick your poison there at the right time. Yeah. That's what you get with the Patrick Mahomes. It's why, and it's Josh Allen too. If you remember the, the highlight of him rolling right against the dolphins and then yep. throwing to the opposite practically. Yes. Beyond the goalpost anyway, to the, almost to the opposite corner of the end zone for Stefan Diggs. Thankfully the defensive back fell down, but those are the plays where you're holding your breath and you're thinking that is not something you want to get in the habit of doing or have it get in your memory bank of, Oh, I can do that. Right. Right. Yeah. You can do it maybe one out of five times. Hey, the, uh, a great quote, great quote from Jameis Winston of all people this week, Jameis Winston said, just because you can make all the throws doesn't mean you should make all the throws. <laughs> right. I can do it. I have the arm. Those, I mean, some of these guys, Josh's arm is ridiculous. Jameis really is is the 21st century Johnny Pesky. Yeah, (laughs) he he really is. He's he's a wisdom. He's a wisdom guy. Um, But like, don't do it. Just don't do it. Take it's a. You know, there was a debate here after the first two weeks of the Patriots uh, that Mac Jones isn't pushing the ball down the field. It's like, hey, he's completing 74 percent of his passes. It's pretty good. Like, let's just. If, you, if, it, if it takes 14 plays to go down the field, 
Take 14 plays. You, let's take the top off the defense nonsense. Everybody wants this guy that can throw the ball through the, through the, you know, the wall and throw it 75 yards down the field. They don't have to do that to win a football game. Yeah, maybe that's the danger in the AFC East. You see Josh Allen doing it, and you want one of those. Right. You know? well, I mean, I, I, that's a debate here. Tim is like, oh, well, maybe they should have gotten – maybe they should have, you know, like despite Mac having some decent success early, like uh, you, you, you kind of want that mobile guy. Like, look, to me, when you're playing quarterback, at the end of the day, when you're playing a good team, which you're going to play in the playoffs, they're going to figure out a way to keep you in the pocket. And you're going to have to beat them from the pocket. So you're going to have to beat them with your mind and your accuracy. And it's nice when guys can run around and do all these sorts of things. But for Lamar Jackson, at some point, Lamar, if you're going to win a Super Bowl, you're going to have to do it from standing in that pocket and not um, being one of the most amazing athletes we've ever seen a quarterback. Because someone will have a plan to keep you right where you are. And that's when you're going to have to beat them with the, with the other things. Last question, real quick, because I know you've been generous with your time here, Mike. We didn't mention it. Western New York's very own Rob Gronkowski also making his return and maybe getting overlooked a little bit because obviously Brady's Brady. But is there anything to the Gronkowski homecoming here? To me, there is because I think there is less. Um, my feeling is there's less love for Rob than there is really? for Tom. Considerably because he, less because he skipped out on him for a little I bit. I think they, they, there is a portion of the fan base, at least, and certainly in the the sports radio realm of he quit on the football team. He didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, he made it publicly pretty clear that he didn't enjoy playing for Bill anymore, that it, it was no longer fun for him. And then for him to come back and say, Oh, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm going to go play with Tom. You're going to have to trade me. You might as well get something for me. Cause otherwise I'm going to stay retired. And then for him to go on and help them win a title. And I, what he's got four touchdown catches already. Uh, in the first three weeks of the season, I think there is a little bit like, you know, we embraced you. We loved your nonsense, you know, your, 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 your frat boy humor and all that stuff. And obviously loved the way he played. I mean, he's, he's the best tight end I ever have seen in person. The best um, of all time. Yeah. I mean, just an absolute monster, but I think there are, there are par a portion of the fan base that says you, you, you hosed us. And I don't, I don't know that he's going to be embraced quite like Tom's going to be embraced. I just want to mention real quick uh, for people out there listening. So this is what you think of Rob Gronkowski, or this is what uh, Western New York uh, sports writers um, in the fantasy football league that all of the Bills writers are in. Rob Gronkowski was not drafted. Whoa. Uh, yours truly picked him up off waivers during uh, the opening game while he's going right. off. You were able to, I, he couldn't be in my roster that week, but. Or no, there's a there's a waiver. I still had to get a little lucky on the waiver pickup. But yeah, Rob Gronkowski. And because you think, you know, same thing. Like it's the same thing. It's the betting. You know, it, he's he's falling apart. You know, he's at the age and however many tight ends they have down there in Tampa. They have three good ones. And um, and he, Rob still looks like Rob, although that yeah, means he's only going to play 12 games. But <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that is it. If Rob is playing like Rob, then whatever you get, if you get 10 games, but he, you have him in January uh, and February, then I think you're in, in a good place. Um, and I, you know what? I, I see I have, a, I have a great affinity for Rob. I just – I always enjoyed my interactions with him. I thought it was, um, it was difficult to watch him at the end here because you could see the conflict within him 
you could hear it. He wasn't that same bubbly personality. He wasn't joking with us as much. He gave some press conferences at the podium where we're just like, oh, that was depressing. You know, like, you're like, I feel bad. I feel bad. You know, I felt bad for him knowing physically that he, and apparently mentally at that point, he was completely, completely fried. So I, I am happy that he sort of seems like he's back to being himself and is having success on the field. So I don't, I personally, I didn't like the way he handled it at the end, but I don't, I don't really hold any, you know, I can't hold any animosity against him because I just think he's a, he's a solid dude who never really kind of forgot who he was and, and who he is. Mike Giardi, thank you for doing this. I've really enjoyed it. I didn't know we'd talk about Johnny Pesky. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things. A lot of things came up today. So I think we did keep it uh, a, a little light. Hope this is not what you get from Andrew Siciliano uh, that often. No. Um, I enjoy it. He never asks you about your father. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't ask me about Johnny Pesky. He doesn't ask me about the classical tradition. I got to come up with a better story for that, though, right? I should. I should. I should. Uh, no, I should embellish. Thesis on Faulkner is pretty heavy duty, man. Uh, I actually. I want to. I, I was. I was actually trying to find it um, because you know whatever. I've got papers in the attic everywhere, and I was going through some of my stuff that just unload. I'm like, I don't need all this stuff, and I was like. But I want to find the I want to find the, the thesis because I don't, I mean it's so far I'm so far removed from it I don't even remember what the hell I wrote but um, I'd like to I'd like to go back and see uh, Mike Giardi's thoughts on William Faulkner twenty some odd years ago. Do you care about William Faulkner anymore? Like uh, since no. you did that thesis, have you no. done any more like studying up or reading he, some obscure some obscure uh, uh, piece of work that he did that you didn't before? Well, the professor that um, I had for a lower large portion of my English lit classes, um, Professor Dirk Kirk, K-U-Y-K, just passed away probably within the last couple of years. And my roommate, who was also an English guy, uh, we used to joke that he was Faulkner. Like there was he knew so much. Um, that we and he was a southern guy, so like we were like he he now, might be. So William. that's a pretty ballsy thing for you to write your thesis on Faulkner with the guy that you feel is the expert on Faulkner now. Yeah, he. I mean, and look, he he. My first experience with him, we had a <laughs> quick Should story on like J.K. Rowling or something. something <laughs> right. that was a little. You know, he he might you might have threw a couple changeups past him. I'll give you a quick story. So we were playing my uh, it must be my sophomore year. We're playing Bowden at Bowden. So the bus is leaving on Friday at like 1230 because we got to practice on the way to Bowden. Uh, you know, whatever. I don't even remember where we stopped and practiced. Um, so I went to class completely unprepared. Mentally, I was I was ready to play a football game. Excited to go up to Bowden. Um, and I, for whatever reason, decided to sit in the front row. Maybe I thought I would be overlooked if I was in the front row. And he's talking and he's asking questions and nobody's jumping in. And then he looks at me and he's like, Mike, why don't you answer this? And I'm looking at him. I gave it the five second pause. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going to own it. Professor, I'm behind on the reading. I'm a good 100 pages behind on the reading. He turns to my buddy, Justin, the other kid, Justin. He's like, I'm with him. Finger gun. Bang, bang. Get out. I grabbed my crap. I ran out that door. My, my roommate, Justin's like, uh, 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 okay, fine. He grabs his stuff and, um, yep. On a bus to Bowden. And then that Monday I had to make sure that I found him in his office hours and was like, look, won't happen again. Um, and then we had our, we were 
we had respect for each other after that. I mean, I had respect for him anyway, but clearly not enough to do the reading. So, um, yeah. And I wrote a, and then I wrote a thesis. Shame, shame. I know. But you're making up with it uh, with all the globber reading any <laughs> man can handle. And you're a trooper. He's got another book coming out, right? You know, they, they, I've, they I've got, I've got, uh, I've got that book. I've got the book that's behind you there. I've got a sign. He signed it. He actually gave one to my make a wish foundation fundraiser that I very do. Nice. Was very nice of him to do. So I actually had at one point had two. What's he doing? What's the next one though? He's got the one with Keyshawn Johnson. Oh, right. Just right. Came out. Right. Yeah. Um, it's been out for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they featured it on the Fox game the other day and they, they were handing it out in the Rams locker room and, I don't, I, I didn't get a copy though. He didn't send me a copy. Apparently he no, wants me to pay for it. At some point people have to start paying for this thing. He can't, he can't just <laughs> give them away. Hey, his kids Somebody's are out of college. His kids are out of college now, Tim. I mean, what does he need the cash for? He does. This is his leisure time. <laughs> that's, that's right. Mike Giardi from NFL Network. Thanks for doing this. Tim, thanks for having me. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.